FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Hello and welcome back to Castaway, FIS's freight and commodity podcast. I'm Chris Hudson and it is Wednesday the 5th of May. Nice, bright and sunny in London town and I'm joined by Kerry here. Morning, Chris. And we also have uh, Theo, who's joining us from Singapore, a cross-commodity broker there. Morning, Morning guys. Theo. Morning, guys. So we've got our usual news overview before going into our main markets and then a couple of other new markets to, to point to at the end of the podcast today. So something to look forward to at the end. But let's dive into the news. China began construction of an orbiting space station scheduled for completion next year, 2022. Israel recorded no new daily COVID deaths for the first time in 10 months. Uh, American regulators ended its ban on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine after investigating claims of blood clotting concerns. Tesla's sales were up 74% in the first three months of this year, reporting a net profit of $438 million. And the EU carbon price has extended its record-breaking rally to jump above 50 euros a tonne for the first time, pushing up the cost of polluting the block to more than double its pre-pandemic level but let's jump into indexes and see what we've seen moving in our main markets here at FIS and um, Brent we've seen pop up four and a half percent ending 68.81 last night nice little rally from last week 4.6 percent also up on the rock three and a half percent that's the high sulfur fuel oil ended 377.20 387.95 on the Sing 380 up around about the same amount Rotterdam 0.5 up four and a half percent 481.52 Sing 0.5503 breaking the 500 barrier Uh, up 4.1% from last week. The high five, that's the difference between the low sulfur fuel oil and the high sulfur fuel oil, up 4%, or 4 bucks, 104, and 115, the Singapore version of that high five spread, up 2.7%. Kerry, what about the freight? Freight uh, still pushing upwards with the Cape Size 5TC average at 42,959. That's up 5,506 bucks, or 14.7% on the week. Uh, Panamax 4TC at 23.179. That is up $1,566 or 7.2% on the week. Uh, in the tanker market, we're up 0.5% TC2, 113.06. Uh, down 8% TC5, uh, 96.43. 2.3% up TD3C, VLs 35 ending last night and 79.58. TD25 down 4%. And to round us off, Theo, what we're seeing in the iron ore market? Uh, yesterday's Platts, uh, 62%, sold at $189.65. Uh, week on week, that's down $4.20 or 2.17%. Um, must note that last Tuesday's Platt index sold at $193.85, which is the highest daily index in the history of the iron ore market. Uh, fast market, 65% index. Yesterday settled at $222.50. <clears throat> week on week, The 65% index is down uh, $5.30 or 2.33%. Uh, looking at the spread, 65.62, that's remained steady over the last month or two now, above $30. The yesterday's uh, 62.65 spread settled at $32.85, marginally down $1.10 or 0.57 week on week. And last week's Wednesday spread hit a historic high of $36.15. Cool. Thank you, Theo. Now, we're getting to some 
market news on that a bit later on. But uh, finally, though, our markets come, my markets come off a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. A little yeah. bit. Diving into oil and products to start with, we have obviously pointed out last week that we had the situation developing in India. Obviously, terrible what's happening there. With We've had the 12th straight day of over 300,000 cases uh, in a 24-hour period now in India. And this news is definitely impacting and capping gains on the oil market. We've, we've seen in terms of that index, that move yeah. up, but definitely capping gains uh, on that. Preliminary data from the Indian fuel demand has already come out. So we've managed to see that gasoline demand has fallen 6.3% month on month to a total of 2.14 million tons, uh, which is lowest since August last year. So diesel demand has also saw a 1.7% decline uh, down to 5.9 million tons uh, over the month. So actually quite considerable impact already we're seeing from things yeah. that are happening in India. Uh, API predicting a quite considerable draw in crude stocks in the US, uh, minus 7.7. So a far cry from what we've seen in the last few weeks. Uh, significant draw definitely driving uh, and adding more weight to that sentiment that is true that there's, there is there is demand returning and things are looking a lot more rosy. All market patiently waiting for confirmation of that. We have the EIA, which is the government body, which actually confirms the real figures happening at 3.30 US t- uh, UK time Sorry, today. So we'll be able to see whether the API predicted it correctly, um, usually for the coin, whether they're right or not, <laughs> yeah. all those things. Um, but that positive sentiment from the US, uh, also things such as uh, the EU, a lot of talk about vaccine passports, about opening up of travel again, uh, which will definitely help in terms of a lot of product demand um, with restarting of summer holidays. I know the UK of saying that there may be a, a situation soon of certain areas being able to, yeah. to, to, to go to on holiday, which is nice for everyone personally, but also decent in terms of oil and demand for those people who want such things. Um, weaker dollar also helping Brent prices of last week. Um, as the US expected, uh, manufacturing growth figures are weaker than expected. Um, jet fuel demand continues to rise in the US as increasing domestic domestic travel there, uh, according to figures. Seen uh, more than 1 million passengers a day at present, even though this is uh, half the number of pass- passengers in 2019. Definitely a lot better than it has been recently in industry, which has really suffered during this. Yeah, ten, ten times uh, the amount screened between March and April of last year, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, so, significant yeah. stuff. Uh, so I'm sure that with the EU following and others, I know that the, an interesting story about Chinese domestic um, air travel is that the government's paying for a lot of them to keep the, the companies afloat and you can just go anywhere <laughs> you want. Maybe it's, we need more socialist policies in this country too. Um, but the, the cancelled OPEC meeting scheduled for last Friday, that was, um, left the, the oil market just thinking that this is going to be the trend to continue and we're going to be waiting to that 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 rescheduled meeting uh, later in, in in the year, uh, but things are looking up in the oil market and things are definitely pushing up. Um, we've seen both those high five spreads now over hundred dollars, and yeah. we're we're closing in that yeah. seventy bucks uh, a barrel <laughs> on Brent. But Kerry, why don't we uh, take us on onto the freight? Well, I mean, the Cape size continued their seemingly unstoppable ascent uh, despite the Chinese and UK holidays on on Monday. Um, in the words of our own Cape FFA team. If the charters had hoped that the long weekend would take the heat out of the market, they were sadly disappointed. Despite a quiet Monday on Tuesday, we saw the physical market take off, driven by a a lack of offers uh, and early demand, sending C5 rates soaring, uh, just jumping very, very high, uh, well over $14 with a rumored 
high of $14.85 fixed on that C5 West Australia China route yesterday. Well, the C3 Brazil China route was reported at $29 uh, per ton for split dates on June, July, Lacan. Uh, there is certainly a lack of offers on that physical market that is beginning to discourage fixing for prompter dates on that C3 route. And sentiment continues to be driven up by the paper market, which, I mean, it shot up $4,000 in the front month yesterday to $43,000. Um, uh, we have already gained another 1500 bucks this morning with the bids at 44500 now for the June Cape 5TC. That's according to the FIS Live app. And it's worth noting that the seven period RSI on that front month contract is now at nearly 87, um, looking very overbought. And just worth noting that, that we haven't seen those levels since June of last year um, in terms of that, uh, that RSI number. Um, also, keep an eye on the growing North Atlantic tonnage list on the Capes, um, you know, which, which is something that might moderate things a bit. But, you know, overall sentiment, hugely positive still. Panamaxes were a bit calmer this week, but they have been gaining support as well from that super hot Cape market sentiment. NOPAC got a bit more active yesterday with modern cams for Max's bid at 29,000 for the round voyage. And period interest also started to pick up. East Coast South America demand seems to be picking up as well for June dates uh, with those front haul cargoes coming out. Uh, at the end of the day, though, I would say the jump on the paper yesterday with the June 4TC up $1,500 is probably more attributable to the Cape sentiment than anything else. Uh, today, we've seen further gains that June trading another $800 up at 26.925 value and the Q3 trading at 24000 more a sheep effect of Cape's gone up, Panamax is Exactly, exactly. No. Um, Theo, the stage is yours for iron ore. What are we seeing? <laughs> Iron ore is still at its uh, dizzy heights and record highs of the recent weeks, largely because supply isn't able to keep up with demand. I mean, uh, crude steel production has been growing like 30% over the last five years. Um, in Q1, output increased by 16%, and April was increasing also. So it looks like that if the supply doesn't increase significantly, it's difficult for us to see uh, iron ore coming off. I mean, China's um, uh, blast furnaces, capacity utilization rates are around 90% at the moment, and they're still, in, and they're still buying uh, iron ore from the ports. Um, so I think that iron ore prices are just basically hitching the ride off the uh, soaring steel prices in China and high steel margins, and they're not really going to be looking to reduce any outputs uh, in the near future. I mean, hot roll call margins are now at a record high of 177.80 per metric ton, which was noted on April the 25th. And domestically, HRC price is around 5,750 yuan per megawatt per metric ton. So the Chinese government actually announced uh, just last week that they're going to put a steel ex uh, tax rebate reduction and removal of uh, import tariffs on some secondary steel margins. But the fact is that if you look back in 2020, 61% of China's total steel exports were flat rolled alloyed and stainless steel finished products. In, two, in Q1 of, two, of two, 2021, that figure was 65%. So I believe this year is just a playbook of 2020. We're going to move, do it again. Basically, buyers need to buy Chinese flat rolled alloy and will pay anything for it. Uh, so from there, I mean, steel production increase has been increasing. Last year was over a billion 
metric tons and supply of uh, iron ore hasn't been increasing because companies like BHP and Rio were forecasting steel production to hit a billion in about 2025 and China did it in 2019. So it's close to like 20 years too early. <laughs> so, I mean, the exports from Brazil uh, haven't been increasing too much year on year. I mean, last year we hit 396 million tons and in 2016 we were at 376. So year on year supply is not increasing, but the insatiable demand from China for iron ore has been increasing. So currently, I find it very difficult to see a big sell-off in the iron ore market. Uh, I think maybe looking at the second half of the year, if steel prices get softer, then we might get some or some sort of resistance from the downstream. Prices could start loosening a little bit, and from there we might see a, 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 you know, a downturn in prices. But for the moment, I think I think we're going to stay at dizzy heights. I mean, I mean, given that steel prices in Northern Europe and in America have also been setting new records, especially for the HRC. Um, it's it's hard to imagine that uh, even the removal of that export rebate on Chinese HRC is going to um, is going to uh, dampen demand too much, isn't it? No, I don't think so. I, I agree with you totally. I don't think it's going to do much to demand at all. I mean, they'll just use it domestically. Uh, we're going to be coming off going into the, a construction period now after this uh, holiday period. So they'll be interested to, interested to see what the drawdowns are like week on week. And if the drawdowns percentage-wise don't decrease uh, quite considerably, then these prices are here to stay. <laughs> and then you've got all the stuff happening in the US with yeah. construction as well. And a lot of other countries will be using that as a stick to get the economy going. So exactly, exactly. A betting um, yeah. man would not assume anything <laughs> but yeah. prices going one way or... <laughs> Well, it's not going to collapse. I mean, it's yeah. been the ultimate question of when yeah. the iron price is going to come off. Exactly. The entirety exactly. of this life. It's difficult. Well. It's difficult to see a collapse in the short term, isn't it? So, no. we don't don't see it till it's happened, is it? No, exactly. These small output cuts and announcements just merely just spike steel prices anyway. So, you're going to need you need a shift, a fundamental shift in in this demand supply in order for the for iron ore to actually start coming off in price at the moment anyway, in the short term. Cool, thank you for that update on, the, on that, Theo. Um, moving on to other markets, I can't find the date or can't remember what it was, but we did once do uh, a random market of the week. And one of those <laughs> markets was, uh, was it long length lumber? Or that's right, length lumber? that's right, yes. But talking of lumber, we've seen uh, a few news stories coming out there recently is this is probably more to do with the US where a lot of it's been happening. Yeah. Uh, the usual price for a thousand board feet of lumber has usually been around 200 bucks to 400 bucks range. Uh, and it's now well above a thousand bucks. Unbelievable, isn't it? So, so yeah, if you look at the a new home, average American home would have usually cost uh, 10,000 bucks, uh, $10,000 in wood to get I mean, the project started. It's now 40,000. And, and keep in mind, you know, that in the U.S., but virtually all homes outside of urban centers are wood-framed houses. Mm. So, I mean, that's just a mark of, of how high that pent-up demand probably is right now in the U.S. Or oh, just everyone very keen. It's just <laughs> been stopped and there's a lot yeah, of... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so uh, skyrocketing on, on the lumber markets, just to harken back to the days when we uh, did some other random markets, but definitely something to... 
to and that kind of bellwether of the this activities we talked about construction we're talking about china and the iron ore demand and and things domestically can absorb but the us is there as well and a lot of this is, is going to be driving forward on exactly. construction projects exactly uh, another market which we wanted to just highlight again with skyrocketing prices is battery metals. Yes. Uh, cobalt price has jumped some 40% uh, this year on the demand. And a lot of that's electric, electric vehicle makers because it's a key component for, for battery exactly. metals. Exactly. You've got all these commitments coming forward from the major auto manufacturers mm -hmm. saying, you know, GM, for example, saying they're switching to full electric by what was it, 2035. So, you know, this is this is just driving up that price. The volatility is there. Um, it's worth noting as well that, you know, since the launch of the Cobalt Future contracts on the CME, uh, our own battery metals desk has been taking about 80 to 85 percent of uh, all brokered market volume on that. So if you do want to learn more about getting involved in the battery metals futures, uh, do give us a ring here at FIS. And I guess with the IEA is predicting that the obviously drive towards electrification of a lot of our economy and move to yeah. green economy is going to be, you know, pushing the demand for, for battery metals and with the lack of investment that there's yeah. going to be significant price volatility and exactly. going up. So exactly. if you need to do it, time is now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then our last market of the week, uh, Theo, you're going to tell us about Japanese power. Yes, FIS is uh, venturing into uh, Japanese power. Uh, power markets in Europe have been deregulated for a very long time, but uh, only few power markets in Asia are deregulated. At the moment, we have Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, and the new one is Japan. Um, Japan is an interesting market because it actually has a very interesting fuel mix and variable weather patterns and a changing market landscape, which makes it very attractive to both traders and institutions to get involved in. To put this into perspective for you guys, uh, I'll give you some stats. Australia's annual demand or consumption of electricity is about 190 terawatt hours. The UK, about, let's say, 300 terawatt hours. Germany, 600 terawatt hours. Japan is 980 terawatt hours. Mm -hmm. So that pretty much makes it the size of the UK and Germany put together and some. So... The interesting thing on the um, supply side is that the fuel mix is made up of re renewables, nuclear, LNG, coal, and a little bit of oil. So also the demand side, the seasonality is interesting too because Europe, for example, is a winter peaker. Summer in Australia is the peaker. Japan has a summer peak and a winter peak. So it makes it a very unique market in itself. Um, now, from a market exchange perspective, VEX, which is the largest power exchange in the world, launched their first product last year in May 2020. There's a number of trading companies that are getting involved in this, and currently the VEX says they've got 20 active participants, and the number's growing both domestically um, because of the requirement to hedge, because of the fuel mixes, and participants from externally from the international markets. Um, yeah. Japan, to give you a little bit of an introduction to Japan and the volatility of power markets, last this year in Q1, Japan made headlines due to a tight supply and demand balance and severe cold weather. So the volatility was quite immense, and maybe some would say probably maybe too volatile. To paint the picture for you, we're going into Q1, and LNG prices were pretty low, about $2 per MMBTU. Whereas the long-term contract price that Japan were taking in, LNG would run the $7 mark. So Japanese storage facilities, I'm told, which are not publicly available, 
they've got enough LNG for around two weeks. So when the cold weather was coming in, the Japanese generators got caught and short fuel LNG, and the, Jap and the January spot price spiked to 18.50 per MMBTU. So the power price in December, which we're trading at, they're trading yen per kilowatt hour there. We're trading on 14 yen per kilowatt hour. In January, they experienced a daily settlement price close to 100 yen per kilowatt hour, which made the wow. contract base load settle at 66.53 yen per kilowatt hour. Now these numbers, so you can actually get them, so you can understand what exactly what they mean, 66 yen, if you're using a uh, Japanese US dollar calculation, would be about 600 US dollars per megawatt hour or 500 euros per megawatt hour. And to, to finish off, if you think that uh, Cal 22 in Germany currently is trading at 60, dollars per, 60 euros per megawatt hour, the January contract sold at 10 times that amount this year. So it's quite a market. That's some huge prices. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but Definitely. Theo, let's say we've got some people who are obviously interested in the Japanese market or looking to pay, you know, what do they have on the plate in terms of options to, to trade with us? Well, we, we will broker and uh, clear uh, swaps through the futures market from EEX. Uh, the liquidity is in the front end. We're seeing, <clears throat> we're seeing participants that just want to trade. There's two, re there's two zones, the west and the east, but mostly the Tokyo contract is one that trades currently. Um, and I've been talking to a few people about this market. Then we're coming up with the idea of trading an LNG versus uh, Japanese electricity spark uh, spread, which would be quite interesting because of the uh, volatility coming around the winter and the summer peaks. Sounds fantastic. So if anyone else is listening who wants to get more involved in the Japanese power market, then Theo is your man to get in contact exactly, with him. Exactly. And one more thing we have to announce briefly is that uh, in an effort to meet uh, significant customer demand from our maritime customer base on the bunker fuels market, uh, FIS have now partnered with Integrate Fuels and, uh, and indeed their online platform, the Engine platform. Um, which I think is a, a very exciting development. It means that our customers will be able to see live uh, spot bunker fuel prices through the FIS Live app. Uh, it means that engine customers uh, will be able to monitor the futures curves across their various different types of fuels uh, using prices from FIS and uh, linking through to us to hedge when they need to as they make their physical purchases. So look out for that within... Uh, Within the week, you will be seeing uh, spot bunker prices, courtesy of Integrate and Engine, uh, on the FIS Live app. Cool, very Except exciting forward. stuff. Yeah. Very exciting stuff, Kerry. Uh, but that just leads me to thank Kerry for his insight on the freight, uh, and to Theo for first time on the podcast and giving us your insight from the Singapore's perspective, Asian perspective on, on iron ore and, of course, Japanese power. But uh, everyone listening, do join us again next week for an update on main markets and hopefully some other random stuff and random markets to uh, draw your attention to. But uh, thank you again. Cheers. Bye-bye.